Great week of Bible study and fun at Vacation Bible School. Our theme for the Rocky Railway Vacation Bible School was Jesus' power pulls us through. Trust Jesus. And so we saw God do amazing things in our midst all week. We averaged right out about 140 children and 90 adult servants every night. Our kids brought uh, many canned goods, as you've seen as you came into our building, many canned goods that will be donated to the Little Elm Food Bank. They raised, get this, in the coin competition, they raised $2,249.66. Yes. All those coins and pennies, all that money will be given to the Little Elm Food Bank. Most importantly, 17 children prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Yes. One child recommitted their life to, to recommitted their life to Christ, and many others are still doing business with the Lord. This is another opportunity for us to shout, "Go, God, go!" Shout, "Go, God, go!" I want to ask if you served at our Vacation Bible School this past week, would you please stand real quick? Would you please stand? We want to say thanks to you. We want to honor you. Please stand. Thank you so much. Let's give these a hand. Those who serve, thank you so much. Thank you so much. The kingdom of God has been expanded. You may be seated because of, uh, in part due to your service and love and encouragement to these children. I want to say a special word of thanks to Sheila Wolf, our director of children's ministry. Yes. <laughs> Sheila is amazing. She's an amazing minister, the greatest children's minister around. We are so blessed to have her here in our church family. She did an amazing job leading, organizing, planning, preparing, and encouraging us through our vacation Bible school week. I also want to recognize Kelly Walker. I believe Miss Kelly's sitting right over here. Kelly, stand up real quick. <laughs> Kelly is the director of our preschool ministry, and she serves right along with Sheila amazing minister. She leads and loves and encourages our preschoolers. Uh, these ladies are amazing. They minister to our kids, their families, and each one of us every week. And we are so blessed uh, to have Sheila and Kelly ministering to us and with us every week. So thank you again for all that you did for our VBS. Open your Bibles with me now to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, we are reading Paul's words of correction and encouragement to the believers in the churches in Galatea. They were turning away from God and the truth of the gospel to follow the false teachers and their false teaching. The false teachers said, the way to God is by works for God. Paul said, the way to God is by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul made it clear, works are a result of our salvation, not a requirement for our salvation. The battle between law and grace was fierce in Paul's day. The battle between law and grace, the battle between works and faith was fierce in Paul's day. It was so fierce, Paul dedicated chapter 3 and chapter 4, all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 in Galatians, to address this issue. And so we know as well today, it's important for us to address law and grace. Three reasons why. Number one, the battle is not over. The battle between law and grace continues on today. The battle between works and faith is ever-present today. Many people believe that they have a relationship with God because they are a good person and because they do good things. They believe that as long as they do more good things than bad things, that'll be enough for God. God will let them into heaven and they'll spend eternity with him in heaven. 
Thankfully, God has spoken to us very clearly about this in his word. First reason is the battle's not over. Second, works don't work. We cannot earn or work our way to God. The only requirement to have a relationship with God is to be perfect, since God is perfect. We fail to meet that expectation because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin against God separates us from God. Therefore, being good and doing good works isn't enough to get us to God. God did not make a perfection exception to bring us to him. God sent his son Jesus to earth to rescue us from our sins. Jesus perfectly obeyed and fulfilled all the law. He was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned. Jesus, the righteous one, died for us, the unrighteous ones, to bring us to God. Faith in Jesus is the only way for us to get to God. Third reason why we must address works and law against grace and faith is simply because works steal our joy. Works steal our joy. A Christ follower who believes that God's acceptance, approval, and blessings is dependent on their works for him is wrong. And they live in a cycle of discouragement, frustration, despair, and defeat because works don't work. Trying to earn our way to God by our works for God steals the joy that is ours in the Lord. It beats us up. It wears us out. It causes our relationship with God to be marked more by drudgery than by delight. This is exactly what Satan wanted for these believers in these churches years ago, and it's what he wants for us today. Paul reminded us, it is our joy to do the good works God has prepared ahead of time for us to do in his strength for his glory. The motivation of our works is out of our love for God, out of our desire to obey God, not to be accepted by God. We are accepted by God in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so we understand this is important as Paul was making this clear to these believers. Now let's jump into chapter 3. We're going to do a quick review of what we shared last Sunday. Follow with me, beginning in verse 19. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. We'll stop right there just for a moment. The law was given to show us our sin and to show us our need for the Savior Jesus. The law was given to show us our sin and a need for our Savior Jesus. The law reveals sin. The law said, this is what pleases God. This is what God wants. Therefore, not to obey the law, not to do what God wants, is sin. The law demanded perfect obedience to God. The law revealed everyone's sin against God and separation from God. But the law also pointed, as Paul said, to the seed who would come, that being Christ Jesus. He said, and continued to verse 20, now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Paul reminded them that the covenant promise to Abraham was greater than the law of Moses. It was greater. Why? Because the law of Moses was temporary. It was only to be put into effect until the promise would come. 
Paul also shared with us that the law was given to Israel through a mediator by God. That mediator was Moses. Paul said the covenant promise was given to Abraham by God and God alone. God himself gave the covenant promise to Abraham. And so he continued in verse 21. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. Paul answered the question, is the law then contrary to the promises? And Paul said, no. No, the law is not contrary to the promises of God because God's the author of the law and he's the author of his promises and he doesn't contradict himself. The false teachers taught that the law gives life. They were teaching that the way to God is by works of the law. The law gives life. Paul said the law was not granted with the ability to give life. If the law could give life, then the way to God, our righteousness, the way to God would be by works of the law. And Paul already shared that that's not the case because we're only able to get to God by faith in Jesus. And so Paul said, what's really happening, guys, is the law is not contrary to the promises. The law and promises work together with one another. And then he continued in verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Paul reminded us that the law confined us. It imprisoned us. It shut us up under the power, mastery, and control of sin without any way of escape. That's what the law did. But the law was good because the law pointed us to the promise. The promise is that we could be made right with God by God's grace through faith in Jesus, not by works. The law pointed us to the promise, and that promise was simply this. Jesus came to this earth, and he offered us a way of escape out of our prison of sin by his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Faith in Jesus is the only way to God. Paul was continuing to try to bring these believers back to grace, back to faith, and away from law and works because they've been distracted. And so now we pick up in verse 24 and continue as Paul continues encouraging these believers. Paul said in verse 24, the law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. The law then was our guardian. The law is a reference to God's uh, laws, ordinances, his commands, the regulations and ceremonies in the Old Testament. He said the law then was our guardian. Guardian means tutor. It means instructor. It means guide. It means schoolmaster. In Paul's day, wealthy Romans and Greeks would often hire a trustworthy person. Many times it was a trustworthy slave that they would hire, and that person was to serve as a guardian or tutor to their young sons until adulthood. The guardian or tutor would go everywhere with the young son. It would go to school with the son and come back home. It would watch over the son in the home and outside the home. Wherever the son would go, the guardian would go. The guardian had the authority to teach the son, to train the son. The guardian could even discipline the son when needed. The guardian was so present and oftentimes so strict that the sons 
looked forward to becoming an adult because when they became an adult, it meant they would be finally free of their guardian. They would be free from their tutor. Paul takes this background and he says, the law then was our guardian until Christ. The law was our instructor. It was our tutor. It was our guardian. It was our guide. The law reminded us of God's perfection. The law reminded us of our sin against God and separation from God. The law reminded us that we could not get to God by our works for God. The law sentenced us to death apart from God in hell. The law then was our guardian, our tutor, our instructor. But look what he says, until Christ. Say that with me. Until Christ. So that we could be justified by faith. So the law was our guardian until Christ Jesus. The law actually prepared us for and pointed us to the seed Jesus who was to come. The law foreshadowed the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary through the Old Testament sacrificial system. The law highlighted God's crazy love for us in Jesus. The law highlighted God's amazing grace to us in Jesus. The law actually encouraged us to place our faith in Jesus. The law said this is not the way to God. Faith in Jesus is the way to God. The law and the promise of God, the law of Moses and the covenant promise of God to Abraham worked together to point us to Jesus. And he continues and says in verse 25, but since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. He said, but since that faith has come, that means, but since we have been made right with God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, since we have received God's gift of salvation by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, we are no longer under a guardian. That's a praise God moment. Say praise God. We're no longer under a guardian. What does that mean? It means we are no longer in bondage to the law. We are no longer under the curse of the law. We are no longer under the instruction of the law, which reminds us that we're separated from God because of our sin against God, and we're sentenced to eternity in hell apart from God. Because of faith in Christ Jesus, we are no longer under a guardian. We are instead under grace. The Holy Spirit of God is now, through faith in Christ Jesus, our guide, our instructor, our tutor, our guardian, our schoolmaster. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us and gives us the desire and the strength to follow Jesus by faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power and desire and strength to walk in obedience to all that Jesus has taught us. And he continues his encouragement, and he's just picking up steam here. And listen to this. He says in verse 26, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Through faith, he's reminding them of this encouragement. Through faith in Jesus. We are no longer confined under the law. Through faith in Jesus, we are no longer imprisoned under the power of sin. 
Through faith in Jesus, we are sons and daughters of King Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Through faith in Jesus, we are led by the Holy Spirit of God. Through faith in Jesus, we're able to live like Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, we're able to love like Jesus. Paul is sharing with these believers in us here in this passage because they had gotten sidetracked by this law and works talk. He's reminding them that there is only one way to get to God. There's only one way to become a member of God's family. There's only one way to move from darkness to light. There's only one way to move from death to life. And it is not through works or circumcision or obedience to the Old Testament law or being good or doing good. It is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we have new life, abundant life, eternal life with God in Jesus. This is awesome. He's telling them, what are you guys doing? Stop trying to work your way to God. It's not going to work. You're just going to continue to be discouraged and defeated. It's all by grace. And then he continues, and he says in verse 27, he's continuing to correct them and remind them and encourage them. He says, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Oh, man, this is so good. He says, for those of you who are baptized into Christ. Now, Paul here is clearly talking about spiritual baptism, not water baptism, because Paul is talking about salvation in these verses. He's telling us that we are sons and daughters of God by faith in Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us. Water baptism doesn't save us. Baptism is a step of obedience to God that lets everyone know that we are identifying with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. It lets everyone know we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Baptism is one of the first steps of obedience we're to take after we place our faith and trust in Jesus. Baptism is not salvific. Paul says, when we placed our faith in Jesus, and this is impossible for us to completely understand, but he said, when we placed our faith in Jesus, we were baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, this is awesome. I want you to jot this, if you're taking notes, jot this passage down. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul brings a little bit of clarity to this truth. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. He says this, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. What Paul is saying is this, when God saved us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, he placed his Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who baptized us. He immersed us. He supernaturally and miraculously placed us into Christ. The Holy Spirit of God supernaturally, miraculously placed us into God's family at the moment of our salvation. It's too great for us to comprehend and understand, but we can certainly be blessed by it. You see, the Holy Spirit, when God saved us, the Holy Spirit dwelt in us immediately. And when God saved us, we died to sin and self. A death occurred. When God saved us, there was a death. That death was us dying to our sin and self, and we were raised to our new life in Jesus. This is what Paul said at the end of chapter 2 when Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, our hope is in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. 
Our significance is in Jesus. Our strength is in Jesus. Paul is reminding us of these truths. And he then continues and he says, for those of you who are baptized into Christ, so he's helping us understand what's going on here. He said, we were clothed with Christ. So as followers of Jesus Christ, when God saved us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit baptized us into Christ, and we were clothed with Christ. Clothed means to put on or to be dressed in. So at that moment of salvation, we were not only baptized into Christ, but we were clothed with Christ. We put on Christ Jesus. That means we have Christ in us, and Christ now wants to live through us. What it means is we are now, as followers of Jesus, we're to walk as Jesus walked. We're to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. What Paul is talking about here is position and practice. Paul said this, we are right before God in Jesus, and we are to live right before others through Jesus. We are right before God in Jesus, and we're to live right before others through Jesus. It's position and practice. Look at this verse with me. For those of you who are baptized into Christ, that's position. We have a new position. We have been placed into Christ. We were once spiritually dead. We're now spiritually alive in Christ Jesus. That's our position. We have been baptized into Christ. We are right before God in Jesus. But then we look, and we have been clothed with Christ. That's our practice. The position leads to the practice. Now that we are in Christ, we've been clothed by Christ because since we are new in Christ, we're to live for Christ. And what Paul is saying here to these believers is this, the difference Jesus makes in you is supposed to shine through you. The difference Jesus makes in you should be seen through you. The words you say and the ways you live. Because as much as they were getting distracted by this law and works mumbo-jumbo from the false teachers, it was stressing them, it was discouraging them, it was leading them to defeat, but it was also hindering their witness to others for Christ. The difference Jesus makes in us, it's our position in Christ, is to be seen through us in our practice for Christ. And then he continues, and this is just awesome. He then shares with us exactly where that practice comes into play. Look what he says in verse 28. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a great declaration of doctrine. It's a great declaration of truth. It's a great declaration of hope. It's a great declaration of grace. It's a great declaration of love. It's a great declaration of freedom from Paul here in this passage. This is so good. Let's read it again. Let's read it out loud together. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul eliminated, follow me now, Paul eliminated any and all bias, hatred, oppression, and prejudice of anyone based on their race, Jew or Greek, based on their socioeconomic status, slave or free, based on their sex, male and female. 
You see, in Paul's day, the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. They hated one another. In Paul's day, the slaves were looked at less than than those who were free. In Paul's day, the women were basically disregarded. They were ignored. They were dismissed. They were basically completely disregarded. You see, these were the barriers that separated people in Paul's day. These were also the barriers. Not only did they separate the people, but it led to prejudice in the people, which then also is always going to lead to mistreatment of the people. And so this is going on. And Paul steps in here and Paul says, hey, we got a new position and a new practice. And Paul says, here's how this works. This, for a follower of Jesus Christ, is out of place. This kind of treatment is out of place for followers of Jesus Christ. For followers of Jesus Christ, there is no room in our lives. There is no room in the church. There is no room in the body of Christ. There is no room in brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus for any bias or hatred or oppression or prejudice based off of race, socioeconomic status, or sex. There's no room. Now, follow me. Paul was not teaching that there are no differences among people. Please follow me because this gets misinterpreted constantly today. Paul was not teaching there are no differences among people. God is our almighty, awesome, and all-knowing creator. And God has created each one of us uniquely, wonderfully, fearfully, lovingly, intentionally, purposefully in his image. And God, in his creative genius, the masterful artist, Almighty God gave us our background. God gave us our color. God gave us our families. God gave us our nationalities. God gave us our race. God gave us our sex, male or female. And I want to just remind us, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't need updating. God doesn't need to be altered. God doesn't need to be improved. God doesn't need to be changed. God's not asking for suggestions as to his creative order. You see, God's doing just fine being God. I think he's got everything handled on that end. We're the ones who are messing things up. And so what Paul was saying is this. He was telling these believers this. It doesn't matter if we're African or American or Asian or Australian or Brazilian or Canadian or Central American or European or Indian or Jewish or Latin American or Mexican or Middle Eastern or Russian or any other nationality or any mixtures of nationality. We are all one by faith in Jesus and we're all to love one another like Christ Jesus. And our position, amen, give the Lord a hand. Give the Lord a hand. Don't miss this now. Don't miss this. The first thing he says about our new position in Christ as it relates to our practice to Christ is to go right to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where it's got to show first. That's where it's got to show. Because it isn't going anywhere if it doesn't start in here. You see, the good news that Paul shared is this. God doesn't have 
favorites. He doesn't have favorites. Jews, Gentiles, slave free, men, women, boys, and girls. We're all saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. All saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Then he continues. Man, this is so good. He continues. Man, sometimes you just, you just want to sit and just soak it in. I mean, there's sometimes where I just, it's like good food. You just want to sit and go, mmm. Mmm. Man. He says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So Paul's saying this, since you belong to Christ, since you follow Jesus Christ, he said, you are first, you are Abraham's seed. That means we're Abraham's kids by faith because Abraham believed God and it was credited him as righteousness as we've covered. Abraham was declared right with God by his faith, belief, and trust in God. And since we belong to Jesus, we're also heirs according to the promise. We are heirs according to God's promise to Abraham, which we receive through faith in Christ, the promised seed of Abraham. You see, God's promise to Abraham was to make Abraham great and to make him into a great nation, to bless Abraham and to bless all nations through Abraham, which is by faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And so this is what Paul was sharing with these believers. So our question, our application is simply this. What do we do now with this passage? What do we do now? What is Paul talking about? He's talked about our position. He's talked about our practice. He's talked about our family. He's talked about faith in Christ. What is our application for you and for me? Well, here's our application. One simple point. We'll apply it in a couple of ways. But one simple point of application, it is this. Make sure you get this. Embrace our unity in Christ Jesus. The application from this passage is real simple. It's right here. Embrace our unity in Christ Jesus. Follow me now. Our unity is not in our athletic affiliations. Our unity is not in our academic affiliations. Our unity is not in our economic affiliations. Our unity is not in our political affiliations. Our unity is not in our racial affiliations. Our unity is not in our social affiliations. Our unity is in Christ Jesus. We are sons and daughters of King Jesus. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. We have all been forgiven by the blood Jesus shed for us on the cross, and we have all been declared right with God by God's grace through our faith in his Son, our Savior, the promised seed, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus, by the way, is greater than our prejudices. Jesus is greater than our biases. Jesus is greater than our differences. Jesus is greater than our anger. Jesus is greater than our bitterness. Jesus is greater than our conflict. Jesus is greater than our fears. Jesus is greater than our failures. Jesus is greater than our hurts. Jesus is greater than our loneliness. Jesus is greater than our misunderstandings. Jesus is greater than our sin. It's like the old hymn said, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's Grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. That grace poured out on the cross of Calvary. We are united with God and with one another by faith in Jesus. And we must embrace our unity in Jesus. 
We do this in a few simple ways. First, I must seek forgiveness. If we're going to brace our unity, we must seek forgiveness. We must seek forgiveness from God for the daily sins that we commit against him. Thankfully, God is faithful and just. He will give us our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But secondly, we must seek forgiveness from our brothers and sisters in Christ when we sin against one another. If we have said things or done things that are offensive to one another, we need to run to one another and we need to seek forgiveness from one another because we cannot embrace our unity in Christ if there's bitterness or unforgiveness in between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must must seek God's forgiveness because every sin is first and foremost against God. We must seek forgiveness from our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Secondly, I must show forgiveness. We forgive because we have been forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. Listen, we must forgive. Forgiveness, remember this now, I know you know this, forgiveness is for us, not for others. Forgiveness is for us, not for others. We must forgive others whether they stop doing what they have been doing or not or whether they ask for our forgiveness or not. We must forgive them. We must release them. We must set them free because, you see, what forgiveness does for us is it frees us from anger, from bitterness, from hatred, from resentment, and from revenge. And forgiveness then frees us to love one another. It frees us to pray with and for one another. It frees us to minister to one another. It frees us to live with one another in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness is that balm. It's that medication that heals those hurts and those wounds and allows us to be one with one another and it allows us then to embrace that unity that we have with one another. We seek forgiveness. We show forgiveness. And in the third phase, if we're going to embrace our unity in Christ Jesus, is I must go first. You and I must go first. I must go first to Jesus day by day. I must go first in his word. I must go first in prayer. I must go first in faith to Jesus. I must go first in obedience to him. Whether anybody else does or not, whether I'm all alone or not, I must go first to Jesus. I got to get to him every day. I got to get to him throughout the day. I got to get to him first. I got to tell him what's going on. I got to tell him my hurts. I got to tell him when others sin and hurt me and when others offend me. I got to tell him what's happening. I got to ask him for help i got to go first to Jesus. But then, secondly, you and I must go first when it comes to one another. We must go first in spending time with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, away from the few hours that we meet together and gather together for worship and for life team in middle of the week Bible studies. We must go first in spending time with one another. We must go first in embracing the unity we have with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We must go first in listening to one another because when we listen to one another, see, when we spend time with one another and we embrace that unity with one another, we're able to listen to one another, and when we listen to one another, we learn. We learn about one another. We learn from one another, which then allows us to know how to love one another and live with one another in Christ Jesus. It allows us to embrace that unity that we have with one another. We need to go first in blessing one another, in encouraging one another, in comforting one another, in forgiving one another, in helping one another, in loving one another, in serving one another, in ministering to one another, in praying for one another, and praying with one another. We need to go first in giving ourselves away to one another. Because this is the standard that was set for us. Because Jesus Christ, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he took on flesh. He stepped out of heaven. He came to this earth. He took the initiative with you and with me. He took the initiative. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative. He said, hey, listen. I now call you my friends, and I want you to follow me. And as you follow me, that means I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to give you the desire, and I'm going to give you the power to go first. I'm going to give you the power to go first to those around you. And I want you to start, I want you to start with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, as parents, I think we can all relate to this in some way. As parents, we, in raising our children, we don't like it when our children are fighting with one another. We don't like it when they fight with us. We don't like it when they're fighting with one another. And as parents, we see and understand the reason for the fights, which is most often their selfishness, their stubbornness, their pride, their fight with one another, misunderstandings. And they just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and with one another because they, they just refuse to stop because they're so driven by what they want. And God calls us as parents to step into that gap and help them out <laughs> in different ways, through encouragement, through discipline, help them out so that they can get to that point where they understand what? Their family, their brothers and sisters, their loved one another. I can only imagine our Almighty God as He looks at us, His kids. And He sees us fighting. and our families. At his house, he looks in his churches, he sees, and he knows the only reason is pride, selfishness, stubbornness, misunderstandings. And he, by his Holy Spirit, through the truth of his word, he just comes to us. And he disciplines us because that's what a loving father does. Because he wants us to understand we're family, we're brothers and sisters. And we're brothers and sisters because of his gift of his son, our Savior Jesus. And so he once again 
says to us, as Paul said to these believers years ago, this is what God is saying to us today. Nothing should keep you from embracing your unity in Jesus. Nothing. And if there is anything in the way, take it to him. Give it to him. Release it to him so that you can be free to live for him. Our diversity is great, but our unity in Jesus is greater. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead this time of invitation. I want to encourage you just to respond. The Holy Spirit speaking. The altar is open as it always is. You want to come and kneel, do business with the Lord. Maybe you just want to grab your husband, your wife, right there where you're seated, begin praying. Maybe come up, kneel, pray. A brother in Christ, sister in Christ, this is our time where we go first in blessing. We go first in encouraging. We go first in ministering. We go first in praying for one another. If you know someone's hurting, go pray with them. Go pray for them. It's where, where's where it happens. God's speaking, and he wants us to respond in obedience to him. Spend that time confessing anything that he has convicted you of. Commit fresh and new to, to go first in these areas that God has made clear to you this morning. Our ministers will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. If you have a need, care, concern, they'd love to pray for you. As always, once again this morning, if you've never received God's gift of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, then why not today? Why not right now? The gospel has been presented. Jesus, faith in Jesus is the only way into a relationship with God. You can receive this gift of love and life and salvation by placing your faith and trust in Jesus this morning. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. We'd love to help you say yes to him. Let's stand and let's respond to the Lord in obedience and worship him.